Hey guys, welcome back to my channel. So today I have another family involved true crime video for you guys. And if you've not seen one of these, it's basically where I include interview clips of a victim's family member in the video because I truly think they can tell their story a lot better than I can. When I do have an opportunity to have a family member on this channel, I think it's really important because it makes it so much more real. I know a lot of you guys watch true crime videos for entertainment, but these stories are real people's lives. You know, it just doesn't end after the video ends for them. When people lose a family member to a violent crime, it changes their life completely. My name is Jenny Carreri and I'm fighting for justice for my twin sister, my identical twin, Jody LaCorno. Now, if you are a twin yourself, I'm sure you can understand the incredible bond that there is in a twin relationship. Jenny losing her twin sister has completely derailed her life, created so much anxiety and depression for her, and she struggles with it daily to this day, even though it's been a long time since this happened. I'll warn you before we even get into this though, that this case is frustrating, there's not a lot of answers, there's not a lot to work with, but I think it's still important to share these stories and that we don't forget about people who have been somewhat forgotten by the system. So Jenny and Jody were really close from the day that they were born, really. Can you tell me what it was like growing up with a twin sister? Mm -hmm. Really, it just fun. Always having your companion, your best friend there. We were always together. We were, I, I feel like we were one person. She was definitely more the outgoing one. I was very shy and I don't know if you've heard me say they call me Jenny the Wimp. My family, yeah, because I was just very just quiet and and she was she was more out there and, and definitely I felt more com confident with her, my other half. So a lot of twins describe that bond, mm -hmm. you know, especially mm -hmm. identical twins seem to have this really inseparable bond where you feel like you really are the same person. Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely, and, and we knew what each other were thinking. Which one of you was technically older? She was two minutes older. Okay. Mm -hmm. She was definitely the older one. Did she like yeah. to hold that against you? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> definitely. Now life was not easy for Jody and Jenny right out the gate pretty much because they were struggling with a father who they loved but who also was an alcoholic. He was a really good man. He was very smart. We grew up in Annapolis. So he was working in DC at the time and I, and I remember you know, that he would drink at his office before he would come home. And, oh and I remember just waiting out, looking out the window every night, thinking, oh my gosh, is he gonna make it home? Like just really sad, like worried. We ended up having an intervention with putting my dad in the treatment program. And it really affected their lives. They actually both started drinking themselves very young. We hooked school one day and we got into it. We, he would keep it in his bathroom. I mean, we were in eighth grade, I think. Wow. Eighth grade, yeah. So we drank great. vodka and got in, you know, smoked his camel on filters and just, we were like, this is the life. This yeah. is the, like, and that was it. I mean, that's from there on, we mm -hmm. just started. And then, but we got in trouble, like, you know, for hooking school. They put us in a Catholic school in, in our town. But, you know, once we started there, you know, we were 14 and hung out with the older crowd and we were drinking all the time. And, really? um, yeah. So it got yeah. worse as you went to Catholic school. Oh my school. gosh. Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, my sister was 14 and like I said, she was always the, the more outgoing one. I mean, she had a fake ID when that said she was 24. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it, it's sad. Our high school years was just about drinking and then, you know, we got involved in drugs. And my parents started taking us to a psychiatrist. Like, they were like trying everything. We just went downhill really fast. Like, when I look back, I can like feel that sadness of just always like 
trying to feel better or something, yeah. you know? Eventually, Jenny and Jody were struggling so much with their addiction that they were put into rehab. My parents ended up putting us in a, a treatment program in Virginia, and they were about to kick us out of the high school because we were, you know, getting in trouble there. They put us in, in this place called Straight. It was a, a two-year program. That was when we first got separated. Like, we weren't allowed to talk to each other. They said we were druggy sisters, and that was it. Many of you probably remembered when I covered the Bradley sisters case, the disappearance of Diamond and Tianda. In 2001, Tracy Bradley comes home from her morning shift and discovers two of her daughters, Diamond and Tianda, are nowhere to be found. The girls are just 10 and three years old. Disappeared, the Bradley sisters, the podcast from ID, covers the case that sparked the largest missing persons investigation in Chicago's history. Host Pam Childs was a detective in Chicago at the time of the girl's disappearance. On Disappeared, Childs is joining up with other retired detectives and investigators to revisit the case, and it certainly needs as much attention and eyes on it as possible. They try to answer the question that is bothering everyone for 22 years. Who had the most to gain by these girls disappearing? I highly recommend checking out Disappeared. You can listen to Disappeared, the Bradley sisters, wherever you get your podcasts. When they were put into rehab, they were separated. And Jenny said this was just really hard for them. Um, we did a podcast with Jenny and talked about this. Many people brought up the fact that this is normally what they do because oftentimes twins can be, I guess, codependent on each other. And if they're both suffering with an addiction, they can make it worse for each other by being around each other. So I think that was their thoughts when separating. But anyway, it really was emotionally hard for them. And I think not having that time with her sister really hurts Jenny to this day because they didn't realize how limited their time together was. Like I said, we didn't talk for months. And it, it was horrible, horrible. And and I ended up running away because it was just, it was horrible, horrible. Then I got brought back because I mean, I just had nowhere to go. So I ended up going back to my parents and they brought me back. And then Jody ran away in October, which was our birthday. The program really at the end, like it helped me to turn my life around. But it's crazy because when I ran away, I ended up, there's this place in, Maryland called Ocean City. So I ended up there. She ended up in Baltimore and she was 18. So my parents didn't bring her back. And that's when she met her boyfriend who she was with when she died. Her boyfriend was named Steve. She was a college student and she was attending Townsend University and she was studying geriatrics. She started drinking again when she got out. But tell me about Steve, because you still talk to Steve today. Yeah, I mean, we didn't talk for years and years and years and years. Jody met him and they both drank a lot and that was a huge part of their relationship so the timeline really starts on february 29th 1996. that evening jody and her boyfriend steve got in a pretty big fight the next morning march 1st she went to work she was working as a receptionist at the eastern savings bank in hunt valley maryland but when she got off of work she didn't go home instead she went to this tavern that she used to like to hang out at all the time with a couple of friends this tavern was called the mount washington tavern she liked to go to this one bar, the Mount Washington Tavern, and he didn't like her being there. Okay. He liked them to be at home and have their drinks. And she had gone to the bar that night, and I think she had just come off a time of being sober. He, he got really angry hearing that she was at 
the bar Friday morning, which would have been March 1st, he said they got into a fight and told her not to come home. You need to go to your parents' house, which is 45 minutes away from Baltimore. Now, we cannot confirm this, but Jenny told me that she believes that Jody had somewhat of a crush on the bar's manager. Jody, I believe, went to the bar because she had a crush on the owner of the bar. And it seems to Jenny that Steve didn't really like when Jody would go to this bar. So Jody was there a really long time, actually till closing time, like 2 a.m. And I'm sure a lot of you are wondering, she was drinking while she was there. Instead of just going home after this, Jody actually decided to give this guy a ride home from the bar. He was like a janitor type person that worked there. And apparently the bar manager, the one that she may have had a crush on, told her to take him home. Not that she wouldn't do anything for anybody, but just late at night, that was odd, I thought. I'm not sure who asked her to take him home. So she took him home and it was snowing that night. And that was another thing. Like she wouldn't have driven in the snow. She was just afraid of everything. Yeah. I mean, just everything that night was out of character for her. Then after this, Jody went to an ATM. She got out some cash and then took that cash to the liquor store and bought a six pack of beer. She then went to this parking lot in front of the Drumcastle Government Center. It was around 3 a.m. and she started just making phone calls and hanging out drinking beer in her car. Do you think it's possible she was looking for drugs? I, I mean, I think anything's possible, okay. but I don't feel that she was doing drug. I mean, alcohol was definitely her drug of choice. Now, while she was sitting in her car, an unknown male walked up to the car. And the reason we know this is there were a lot of witnesses actually, but he approaches the car at the driver's side window and she rolls it down to talk to him. According to witnesses, they chatted for a few minutes and then the man walked away. And then he walked back to his car, which was parked a little ways away from her car. But then the man got out of his car, walked over to Jody's car and shot at her vehicle. And it was only one shot. And this bullet went through the back passenger window, broke that. It went through the driver's side seat and into Jody's spine. And it actually severed her spinal cord which we all know is a fatal injury. But miraculously, she actually was alive and conscious for a few minutes. She frantically drove her car across the street, entered another shopping center parking lot. Even though she had these injuries, she still drove, clearly trying to get away from this person. And eventually her car came to a stop and she passed away. And witnesses are watching this whole thing. They reported seeing this man in a white BMW follow Jody from the parking lot where he had shot her over to the other parking lot where she had tried to escape to. He parked over near where her car stopped, got out of his car, walked over to the driver's side window, reached in and put the car in park and then took something out of the car and we still don't know what it was to this day. At 3.41 a.m., an employee from the local giant grocery store, which was open 24-7, called 911. Police came and took witness statements. Witnesses described the suspect as an African-American man who was between five foot 10 inches tall and six foot one, weighing somewhere between 200 and 220 pounds. He was described as wearing a green fatigue style coat, and this person would now be in his 50s. Now, I'd love to show you a composite sketch but the Baltimore police never put one together. Imagine how frustrating this would be as a family member to have a description, to have multiple witnesses describe this person and they just decide to not make a composite sketch. Just unbelievable to me. And I asked them like, why would you not do that? I mean, they had, they said they had six witnesses. Jenny actually thinks that Jody must have known this guy because she said that there's no way she would roll down her window for a stranger. Jenny describes her sister as being a very anxious person, very 
worried about everything, always taking precautions, and she just doesn't think that she would roll it down for anyone. Now, as far as evidence goes, there were two sets of fingerprints on the car that were lifted and saved, but it has not been matched to anyone. Because this was a crowded space and you know there were 24 hour businesses around, there were multiple security videos taken by multiple businesses. However, this has never been released to the public. You know, we do have multiple witnesses, which is huge, especially for a crime that happens in the middle of the night. Oftentimes no one is around to see something like this happen. As far as we know, Jody had no concrete plans to meet anyone specific that night. I'm sure a lot of you are thinking maybe Jody was getting into drugs. She did have history with drugs and alcohol in the past. Is it possible that this man was a drug dealer? That's exactly what police were thinking from the beginning, that this was a drug deal or a robbery, something like that gone wrong. But when they did a toxicology report on Jody, there were no narcotics in her system. It was purely alcohol. But Jenny has thrown out the idea that maybe she was getting them for someone else. Obviously her boyfriend, Steve, carries a lot of guilt in the fact that he told her not to come home that night. Maybe she wouldn't have been in the parking lot at 3.40 in the morning. Baltimore County Police have told Jenny that they do have two suspects that they're kind of looking into and have given polygraph tests, but really won't give Jenny any information. Now, when all of this happened, Jenny was I mean, beside herself. The amount of pain that this has caused her losing her sister and not knowing who did it is just insurmountable. I was just in shock. I mean, everything is such a blur. It's like my body, everything shut down. I couldn't, I couldn't deal with that for years. It was like, anytime I try to think about it, I feel like my whole body would just like freak out. Like I was like, I can't, I can't, I can't deal with this. I can't process this. I can't understand this. I can't feel this and I could not be alone, like not even for a second. Jody was my twin sister and um, my best friend. And um, I, I loved her more than anything in, in this world. For a long time, Jenny did not have anything to do with the investigation. She wasn't working with the police. She tried to stay out of all of that because it was so upsetting. And her father was really the one who was kind of spearheading the investigation as far as keeping the police on track. He became a prosecutor, the state's attorney, so he prosecuted drug and violent crime, so in locally in Annapolis. I was not involved whatsoever in the investigation. I just assumed, you know, my dad was this, prosecutor and mm -hmm. was the one yeah. dealing with the police. You think the police are doing their their job and 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 everything that's supposed to be done, you know? You don't question anything and, and I don't think that my dad did. But then Jenny's father passed away in 2007 and she felt like she needed to kind of take over. And at that point she said she realized that a lot of things weren't being done and she started having a lot of issues with the Baltimore County Police. When I started reaching out to the detective and talking to him and right away, like things aren't, things haven't moved along here. Her case hasn't been properly investigated. I mean, for years I would just find out everything I could and getting contradictions and um, he was inappropriate with me and the detective and yeah, yeah. Call it like their customer service was horrible and um, and just finding out people that they said they'd interviewed that they hadn't and people that they should have interviewed that they hadn't, you know, just finding out. I mean, I was spending every minute I could trying to find out as much as I could. You know, they put out early on the description of the suspect. They didn't even put out the picture of the vehicle mm -hmm. 
until 20 years later. And, and I had asked the detective, I'd say, you know, they tell me they have these two suspects. And, and so talking about suspect number two, I'm like, did you talk to him? And he's like, I don't recall if I talked to so-and-so. And I'm like, I don't recall? What? They didn't even interview people she was talking to at the bar. I'm like, like what else have they missed? For years I've been fighting to put a new detective on the case to get a fresh set of eyes. They won't do it. I mean, it's just, it's maddening. I feel a lot that I'm the criminal. Really. They like I mean, made you out to yeah. feel like you're yeah. doing something oh, wrong. Yeah. You're bothering yeah. them. Yeah. In August of 2016, Jenny actually put in a formal request to get some of Jody's records and she was denied. I mean, we couldn't even see still the original police report, which is public record. Mm -hmm. They won't even give my family the crime scene photos, which they gave to People Magazine. Like, they won't give us anything. They would tell us, they said, there's nothing else we can do. Like, her case is sitting in a closet. So, but then when I filed the Maryland Public Information Act, they said, it's under, like, her case is, it's, it's an open investigation. So Jenny ended up pushing a lawsuit against them to fight back, but eventually she dropped the suit. Are they hiding something, protecting somebody? There's never been one person in all this time that said, oh yeah, this, this case sounds legit, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's, so that's my theory is that there's, there's something not right. There, you there's the something. are involved, they're covered. Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and the fact that they're, they're just stonewalling us so bad. It's, it's, mm -hmm. you know, like going to the governor's office, I've been to the governor's office, I've gone to the county executive and they, they sit there and look me in the eye and they're like, yeah, 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 we're going to help you. And then nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Baltimore County Police to this day refuses to give Jenny or the family any information regarding Jody's case. They have been very secretive about what they have or what they don't have or what's being done. And they say that the reason that they're doing this is because they're worried it could jeopardize the case. And one thing that's really bothered Jenny is that the police actually decided to give them the vehicle back that she was shot in. Essentially, this is the crime scene and they just gave it back to the family. Now we have a lot better technology when it comes to evidence and DNA processing. So Jenny thinks they should have held onto that car until this was solved because now they can't even use it as evidence as it's been discharged from the police. Jenny told me she just does not get along with the current detective, that she's constantly being blocked or shut down or told that she's contacting them too much. She's made several requests for a new detective and has not been able to get one. So at some point, Jenny just took everything into her own hands and she's been doing tons of interviews, trying to spread awareness about her sister's case after all these years. Now she's reaching out to Crime Watch Daily to help catch her sister's killer. It doesn't make sense. The whole night was very out of character for her. She's the identical twin sister of Jody LaCorno. Welcome today, Jenny. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you. I mean, she was terrified of everything. She was actually afraid to live in Baltimore. We were together our whole lives. I mean, we were inseparable. I shared everything. We shared the same room, the same classes, the same friends. Why are you ignoring me, Scott? She has also created her own tip line so that people can send tips directly to her and they're not going to be hidden from her by police. Her tip line is 410-200-6284. They're also offering a $100,000 reward, but obviously Jenny needs help. She's fighting an uphill battle here to find out what happened to her sister and I just, really empathize with her. That pain has got to be so difficult to carry every single day. One thing that she has been trying to do that's been incredibly important to her is putting up billboards in the area to remind the local people of her sister's case and put pressure on the police to continue investigating. Happening today, a billboard is going up along York Road in North Baltimore in an effort by a woman to find the person who killed her twin sister 22 years ago. 
you can see that uh, the crew just arrived here maybe 10 minutes ago and they took down the old Planet Fitness sign and now they're putting up the sign that uh, Jody LaCorno uh, looking for her murder. This was put up by her sister Jenny Carreri more than 20 years after Jody's murder. This story has been well publicized. Jenny Carreri is determined to find her sister's killer after 22 years. Her twin sister was shot and killed along York Road, and now she's putting up a billboard hoping to find out who did this. Now, Jody LaCornu was sitting in her car in a shopping center along York Road when someone shot her in the back. She was able to drive across the street, but she died there. I just feel that there's people that know something. But these billboards are expensive. So she does have a GoFundMe strictly for the billboards. I will link it below if you guys can spare even a dollar, five dollars. It would mean the world to her. I know this case is frustrating and there's not a lot to work with, but it doesn't make it any less important than anyone else's unsolved case. We did a very casual interview with Jenny on our podcast. I will link it below if you have not seen it. And like they gave the car back to my parents early on but my parents didn't right. want the car because yeah. it was just too upsetting so they just gave it back to the dealership but they gave it back to my parents really early on with the fingerprinting kit in the car i will also link jenny's social media below as having support from people online has been a huge help for her i would love to see this case be solved one day i know it would just be life-changing for jenny i can't even wrap my head around losing my sister but a twin someone who you've done everything with and shared clothes with and just you're basically one person. Losing that person is so devastating and that's why my heart just truly, truly goes out to Jenny. That is gonna be it for me today, guys. Thank you for joining me for another episode and make sure you follow the show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It really does help me out. If you wanna watch the video version of this show, you can find it on my YouTube channel, which will be linked, or you can just search Kendall Ray. I will be back with another episode soon, but until then, stay safe out there.